Hello, everyone, and welcome to Books Over Bevies. Come on in. Hello. Hello. My name is Eddie. My name is Rasheen. I use they, them pronouns. I use she, her pronouns. I think that's like our new starting. I think it has think to it be. Happens. Except every <laughs> single time, I feel like one of us forgets our name. Yeah, true. <laughs> or, 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 or pronouns. Or, or, or something. <laughs> We're like, oh, what are we doing again? Yes. Uh, today, we are drinking dandelion tea um, in honor of uh, the mention of dandelion tea in the Joshua Tree, which is like the second last essay of the book we're reading today. Yeah, we are reading uh, Making Love with the Land by Joshua Whitehead. This is our final episode, the post episode. So we're going to be talking about what we thought of the latter half of the book, as well as what we thought about the book as a whole. Any parting messages, wisdoms? Which means spoilers. Uh, oh, you're yeah. Not, if you're not ready, I mean, it's kind of expected. You're listening to a book club podcast, like, kind of expected that uh, there's going to be spoilers. Mm-hmm. But um, our Dandelion Tea is called um, Dandy something or other. Um, it's a powder. It dissolves uh, directly into water. You can get it at Community Natural Foods, or at least that's where I get my, like, giant bag. Um, and it kind of tastes like coffee. Um, it does. This is my first time drinking it. And it's I'm amazing, like, isn't it? I'm totally, it's caffeine-free, right? Uh-huh. It's completely made of dandelion. Um, you can actually eat every part of the dandelion. This is Eddie's nerding out session, apparently. Um, this is what you went to Mount Royal for. This is literally <laughs> what I spent seven years studying. In um, you can eat every part of the dandelion. Uh, this tea is um, kind of bitter, um, like coffee, but you can put as much or as little in as yeah. you want, and it kind of makes it a little more bitter. I went to the like higher end uh, of bitterness to kind of make it more of a coffee drink, but um, I used to sometimes with you know ADHD and and things like that. Sometimes coffee can be, like, caffeine can be really Ah, intense for me. And then other times, if I don't drink three cups a day, then I'm, like, dying. So dandelion tea was my really good, like, replacement for when those Mm. times were, when I had those times where caffeine was really not great for me. Right. So I would have dandelion tea. You can take it as, like, it's really good ice with some sugar or, like, some sweetener. I believe that. Um, And you can take it, you know, hot. Um, as well. I really like it a little more bitter when it talks. It's a little more like coffee, but you mm-hmm. can have it. It's good with milk and sugar. It's good without. Um, so I really like it. And it's mentioned in the Joshua Tree. When I read that, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, we have to drink that. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So yes, you can buy it at Community Natural Foods. Community Natural Highly Foods. Recommend. Um, I, like I said, I had, I had never drank it before. So as someone who's never drank it before, if you're a coffee lover, you'll definitely like it, I think. And, um, it has sort of that like dense, thick, the way we're drinking it anyway, with the mm-hmm. more, the more. I put about powder. two tablespoons in, right. which is, um, is quite a bit, but, um, usually I'll go for like, if I want a little bit lighter, I'll go for like three or four teaspoons right um but we went pretty heavy today yeah we both need it we're both it's been a week it's been i feel like we say that every single time (laughs) i feel like listen the weather is changing i the more people i talk to the more uh, vibes i'm getting yes from a lot of people and i just feel like 
with the, we had such a beautiful fall. It was mm-hmm. almost too beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's almost spookily beautiful. Spooky season. Spooky season. Um, and now it is actually getting cold and people are like accepting that they're back to school and back, you know, full-time working. And yeah. I think, and it's getting colder and we're all just like dreading the inevitable. I know for me, I've been in Japan for three years. So part of me is like, yay, Canadian winter. And part of me <laughs> is like, fuck Canadian winter. I'm like so mm-hmm. scared. <laughs> yeah, I definitely well, walked out to my car the other day and I was like, oh, it's it's fall. Yeah. And I remembered that my car's heating is not great. And it really just sunk in my soul <laughs> that this is happening now. Um, similar uh, in spring when I realized my AC sucks. Oh, so, yes. Um, that's just the nature of my car. But uh, I think Joshua Whitehead actually puts it pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a quote in The Pain Eater, which is the last essay, um, where he talks about the, the response he feels to the question, how are you? Yeah. Um, he says... It's a bewildering jab. Uh, I swallow pain whole and regurgitate little words for others, even as I exist in the canyon of a junkyard spilling out nihilism on the jagged rims of tins. How do we care for one another when we're so entirely exhausted on multiple planes of historical and intergenerational existence? How do we hold one another when even the pronoun you feels more like a stitch ripper than a darting needle? Mm -hmm. (sighs) That was impactful. Yeah. When I read that. Because I... I think the last part of this book, um, and I think too, um, it goes kind of hand in hand with the transition of the seasons and how we're feeling. Yeah. Um, I was, it was definitely feeling a little bit heavier when I read the, the second half of this, or I guess like reading or finishing it coming to coming to, or reading the whole thing. Right. Some of the chapters were a little harder, but yeah, I think in general, like, this week was heavier. I had a cold. If you can't tell, so sorry if I cough. Um, hey, your hiccups are gone. My hiccups are gone. I knew my solution would work. Yes. Um, I was drinking water upside down, by the way. <laughs> it was quite a gymnastic. Just just for context. Um, but yeah, um, I think maybe I just absorbed the words a little bit more of what he was writing like it just kind of sank in a little bit mm. more and it felt bigger right um, but also kind of that was my mood throughout the week so mm. yeah I feel that a little bit um for sure I also took it away like as someone who wants to go into therapy as a profession this concept mm. of asking someone how are you and eating that pain, like taking in people's lived experiences and traumas and like, Mm -hmm. in a way I kind of really related to that in the sense of coming from that perspective of someone who has decided that they want to make eating pain in a way their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's a little bit different to choose to eat pain and be put in a position where I feel like Joshua Whitehead is is constantly put in a position, whether it's by conscious mm-hmm. choice or or unconscious choice, where they are still eating this pain, regardless of whether they're one getting paid for it, two wanting to, 
Mm-hmm. Three, have the energy themselves to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely a different perspective um, from me, but I related to that passage for sure. One thing I thought was really interesting, if we're talking about the last um, essay of the book, The Pain Eater, was how it ended, mm-hmm. which it ends with... Um, This, I think, must be what sovereignty feels like. This, I think, must be what futurity looks like. This right here is a beginning. It ends in a light of optimism. Slightly. Or or just... To me. Yeah, I think that the the way, especially the way that sovereignty and... um, And I don't know what that word is. Futurity? Futurity. Maybe that's about the future. Yeah. Um... We should look at that. <laughs> we but, should look at that. Um, he, they've been talking about sovereignty mm-hmm. and like throughout the, the book yeah. as as something that they're struggling with. Right. And then at the end to talk about it as a beginning, I think definitely um, speaks to the patterns of of mental health and that it's not mm. just a straight up, mm. you know, it's, it's a, it's an up and a down. My grandpa used to always say hills and valleys. Right. Um, peaks and valleys. I, hills you know what I mean? Yeah. The metaphor is there. <laughs> um, about like there are ups and downs and, and it's not going to be a straight up all the time. And so I think, the really nice themes that that are weeded throughout all the essays speak to that and to end at a beginning I think is a very powerful metaphor. Yeah, I definitely think it's really powerful. I I took not to backtrack, but I took like a sense of optimism from it which I felt like we were not owed. Yeah. I felt like myself as a reader coming from the position that I'm in which is, you know, Caucasian an observer an observer Caucasian a Caucasian which, observer of which I very much like that they call out in the book oh 100% um like we, I just yeah I just felt like we didn't necessarily deserve that yeah yeah but like I said that's from my perspective and from my position in my historical relationship to a lot of these themes, right? I feel it also gives the book a feeling of kind of a full circle. Mm. You know, in the way that I really like when books at the end make me feel like it's brought me back into the book. Mm. You know, where I can only really describe it as a feeling of like going in a circle. It helps me feel... I guess like closure right. makes me feel like I've encapsulated my feelings mm. about the book, right? Um, and that I'm not left hanging, I'm not left feeling unresolved. It's come full circle, right? And that's definitely how the ending made me feel. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. I I can relate to that for but sure. But I agree that us as readers, I think I feel that way, like. Like that I feel like I don't know anything because I, as I started reading this book, I took a lot of sticky notes. 
I took a lot of highlights. I went in reading this book very academically almost Mm. in the sense that like, what am I going to take out of it? What are the key quotes? What are, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that? Like, what can I learn from it? And the more I read it, the more I truly feel like I have learned about a human being, like uh, not an archetype of a human being, not an idealized view of a human being, but like of a genuine human being who's been through shit, who continues to go through shit, um, who was brave enough and bold enough to put some of the content out there that they chose to. Um, And I messaged this to Eddie, but I wanted to talk to you, um, say it again, which is as I was reading this book, it in my hands, it started to feel heavier Mm -hmm. as if I was really holding a whole story and not just like the picture of something that someone wanted to be like create. Yeah. I really feel like I've connected with a human being. Yeah. We've sat down and had a conversation with Joshua. We haven't read the biography of their life. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they do talk about it a lot in, um, yeah, they really break the fifth wall. I know that's like a movie reference. It applies applies to movies, but um, what I really liked about the book is it really brought us in as a reader, as an, like we are an active participant in this book. Right. And we are a part of the storytelling. Yeah. Um, in that we're called in to think about what it means to be a reader of somebody's story. Mm-hmm. You know, what it means to be... Um, an observer of of somebody's story that's different than our own right um as you say Mm -hmm. and we're not owed anything no um and I think that's very powerful of of Joshua and I think the book is definitely I agree like I started using sticky notes and taking notes. And I ended just dog-earing a few pages because you kind of realize that you have to sit and experience the book. Like you're having a conversation. Yeah. This isn't a book that you sit and you read to, you know, go on an emotional journey with a character. Like you do, you do that, but you, it's more like you sit and you experience somebody with them and I felt that after every essay I kind of had to sit and reflect yeah and that was really important for me and part of reading it is that I had to and felt that it was necessary to digest everything fully you know like definitely when I started I was like oh I can read this when I'm like at work and I can read this whenever I have a minute but I found that like it was late at night and I was like still thinking about it. And I was like, I want to read more because right now I feel like I can actually absorb and sit with what I'm reading. Right. I'm just feeling right. like I'm, you know, I'm reading on the, on the bus on the way to somewhere else. Cause it's something yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of reasons that we read and there's lots of reasons 
for sure that we pick up a book but I definitely agree that this felt like I wasn't just observing someone's life or story yeah I was like sitting with yeah um yeah. and yeah. holy what it takes uh an author the skill that it takes an author to be able to to do that for us yeah I feel like I because I knew some writing friends at one point in my life who always said like you put a bit of yourself in whatever you write granted a bit granted they were writing fan fiction (laughs) it's a little different little different different. but maybe we should do a fan fiction oh lord (laughs) what a turn that would be um sorry I um we could go on this tangent <laughs> i have many opinions of fan fiction uh yeah i have some opinions of fan fiction that let's not get into maybe right now um, but that's definitely a conversation i think that would be interesting um but um did you find any themes that we talked about before that ran through the last half. Yeah. I mean, like the mental health piece for sure. Oh, for sure. That was a bigger one in the second half. I second think. half, but like still a lot of allusions to body, like a lot so of allusions much. of body functions and like consuming something like pain eater. Like the yeah. whole last essay is this concept of consuming something and releasing it. There um, were many and many metaphors uh, to body, but, um, and I found many of them were two metaphors uh, to nature and to, to land. Yeah. I really felt connected to the title of the book mm. in that it feels very appropriate appropriate, and, and it, it makes sense and it feels like it really encapsulates the book. Yeah, it really which does. I know is what a title's supposed to be, but like sometimes, sometimes it really doesn't feel like it yeah. makes sense, and it this just really it feels like the main theme, you know? Yeah, it, it it feels really accurate, and I think that that's a metaphor that I really really loved, and I spent a lot of time just like having it sink into my heart, mm-hmm. and it felt very nice. Yeah, my own reflection of my own therapy uh, that came from reading this book was definitely about the metaphors for body. Right. Yeah. Um, in writing as a rapture, sort of to like Ooh. call back to um, like putting your identity in a book. Mm. Um, That's a big theme of that. Essay. Yeah. That whole essay is just discussing like, what do I call this book? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of like, what do I really want it to be known as? And I think that's when I stopped really looking at this as like a piece of work that I can take something away from Mm -hmm. and as something that um, is really, is really a living, breathing part of a whole. Mm -hmm. Um. I definitely felt called in the most in that chapter. Mm. Yeah, it was. It, I have a note here, just just on the sideline. That's the idea of being a spokesperson for your identity. Oh, it's a huge, yeah, theme or question. That yeah, I know a lot of us really. Well, and I think as someone who 
like from my, I'm going to say from my perspective a lot, because um, I don't want it to be assumed that I am an authority on a lot of things. Um, Like from, so from my perspective, like that's something that I don't really have to struggle with. Like I'm, I'm white, I'm cis presenting, I'm, you know, comfortable with she, her pronouns, right? So even my own queerness is something for me that I can kind of keep as like a little brooch on my heart and be like, yay, I'm queer for me and no one else. And that's not the case for so many people. Um, so this idea of like being a spokesperson for your identity, um, like that's just something that like, we don't, I think as a society, we don't acknowledge enough how other people have to, when they are speaking from their perspective, many people are viewing that perspective as the story of every single one in Mm -hmm. that smaller group, Mm -hmm. right? So I really felt like um, this whole writing as a rupture essay was sort of like breaking that down. Yeah. And for me, it really felt like Joshua Whitehead was reclaiming this book as his work not just an autobiography of an indigenous queer two-spirit human, but like, this is my book and what will I call it? Because mm-hmm. it's not just an autobiography that doesn't serve the purpose of it for me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very colonial term. And it is a very colonial term. So yeah, I just, yeah, I really thought about that a lot in that essay for sure Mm -hmm. Um, and I think similarly like you know when I came out as queer on the flip side of things I felt and you know this probably speaks more to my neurodiversity than it does my queerness but (laughs) the only way I felt I could discover my queerness was for it to be the like main thing about me Right. So like I became the head of my GSA in high school and I became, we didn't even, I was going to say, I was like, I tried to make a GSA and it fucking failed. Um, I, well, actually I tried in junior high and it didn't work. So I did, I gave up in high school and we just made our own. Um, we just had like our group of friends. Yes. Yes. Um, I was going to say, I don't remember. We did not have it. There was no, No, mm -mm, Um, not in that prison, prison of a high school. (laughs) But there was, um, you know, like I, I went on to university to, to work in the pride center and I went on to work at one of the main, um, like many of the organizations in Calgary that are queer, including Calgary pride and including, well, that was a hot second, um, including skipping stone foundation, you know, And and it, and and it it felt like the main thing about me was my queerness and that became a a reason for other people to use me as an excuse for their own like shitty transphobia because they said like they made weird excuses about how oh like Eddie doesn't care if I misgender them sometimes so clearly 
any non-binary person oh, is okay with being no. misgendered sometimes. And I was like, maybe I just don't feel comfortable correcting you all the Whoa. time. Yeah. So like things like that really are hard for me because I don't, I don't advocate for myself as much as I advocate for my community. Right. And oftentimes that was a tool that I used in order to advocate for myself. Right. Feeling like I was a role model or feeling like I was, people were putting me as a, making me a spokesperson. And right. I had to like, I had to advocate for myself in order to like advocate for the community. Like people right. put you in that position and it, feels really heavy yes um I can yeah and on the flip side of things I think like there's so many experiences um you know Joshua talks about um it talks about um being a queer person means that you're like your experiences your your sometimes your firsts um are stolen from you and yes. sometimes you're you're um, oh that essay I know you didn't get you didn't get as many like really iconic first like you couldn't take the person you really wanted to to prom you couldn't yeah um you know dance with the people that you wanted to dance with um things like that I think are also really hard for for people whether you live um with your queerness as a badge on the outside or on the inside um and not to speak for you even just like Mm. people who wear their badge on the inside I think and and there are badges of mine that I wear on the inside that I don't talk about right that I feel you know we can't celebrate our firsts um because we came to our queer identities later in life or our certain aspects of our identities later in life. And so we, if we had explored these aspects of ourselves before certain experiences we felt we had to, to have, right. Um, then maybe it would have turned out differently. Right. Um, and because there is heteronormativity, there is sometimes the, you know, we question ourselves after we've had these experiences. And so we're not able to have the first that we thought, we might be able, have been able to have if we had explored. Right? Yeah, I've had conversations with people um, who have told me, um, like, I won't transition now, but if I knew what I knew when I was younger, I might have. Yeah, exactly. And that's wild to me. Like, the fact that, like, you, as, as like, an individual feels like they missed a window of opportunity mm-hmm. to fully embrace their true self. And maybe it means that they've grown into themselves in a way that they're yes. comfortable with now. That, that's um, the hope anyway. Yeah, but, um, and, and things are complicated and transition can sometimes be totally internal as well. Like yeah. It can be the badge that we wear on our heart. Yeah. And that can be good enough for people. Yeah. Um, but I just remember having this conversation with someone being yeah. like, you can still, like, people transition and they're like, ma, it would have just been easier. Now it's harder and I don't want to do it. And it's like, that's fair. That's fair, but also, geez. But it sucks to hear. It sucks to hear. Yeah. Like, especially if it's someone you care about. Like, yeah. You're like. Another queer theme that I really related to was on page 172. Let me find it. Um, Joshua talks about breakups, um, Mm, and mm -hmm. the word X, um, 
for a partner um, being a disgusting word, like feeling that futility and that finality and the, and the, the word itself, when you think about the letter X, like it puts a stain on something and it makes you feel you have to sever it. Yeah. I think that's such a queer, you know, it's, it's such a queer thing to a, not just like to just to be friends with your exes, but like, right. That's a real thing. But like, (laughs) um, but I think especially to feel like our community feels so small already. Right. To cut people out who you cared so much for means cutting out like such a big part of, of your life because community is so small. It means, you know, some of the events, like many of the events you go to, you might run into them and, and having to like worry about that is just, is so hard when community is so small. Yeah. Um, and so I really, I really related and, and felt so impacted by Joshua's thoughts on, <clears throat> from the Joshua tree, especially about like feeling connected um, and building like new relationship after a renegotiation of relationship. Right. Like it's just so beautiful. Yeah, I really felt like in Joshua Tree, I think that was. I think Joshua Tree was my favorite. I think it was the closest, like, emotionally I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, to the author. Um, yeah, just this this concept of relationship. And it's honestly, honestly, it's a conversation I wish I could have had with certain people in my life. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily romantic partners, um, but like friendship partners. I wish, I wish the people in my life that I've had friendships with were emotionally mature enough mm-hmm. to be able to have these conversations with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I agree, like this, this, this cutting off of someone this finality, this, this breaking of bonds is so harsh. Mm-hmm. It's so harsh. And especially in a culture, like in our current culture of like ghosting yeah. and texting and like, it's very easy for people to, to, um, break bonds without even thinking of the impact of them, I find. Um, I do also appreciate in the Joshua Tree how they talk about um, some really beautiful moments, but also their ability to have the conversation of... um, of now we weren't worried about hurting each other. Yeah. So we could have vulnerable conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, that was really impactful for me as just like someone who does have a partner to remember to always be having those vulnerable conversations, even if you are scared of what they might say or scared of their reaction. It is better to have those conversations than to worry about what that person is going to think because 
it creates these unsaid gaps in in relationship when when all of a sudden you're too scared to bring something up or you mm-hmm. assume oh well, i'm gonna do something and get really good at it mm-hmm. and then i'll come to you and be good at this thing and your other partner or your other half is like is like i wanted to do those things with you why why are you trying to be- that goes for mental health journeys yeah it, it's like healing and being on the path of healing um or on like self-discovery i think so often we think it's our own responsibility interesting and i think you know to a degree it is right and people have you know some people i i don't want to credit the person who made love languages he's a shit person (laughs) um but the concept of love languages being that people have ways of expressing and feeling loved and one of those ways could be like helping somebody discover and learn more about themselves right you know I had a moment the other day where my brother was like I felt I had to ask my brother for money he's three years younger than me I was like fucking deathly embarrassed right and he was like I love supporting you that way I'm so glad you asked I like broke down in tears because I just never imagined you know it never crossed my mind that that be a way that he would like to care for me right and that by opening up and asking him not only was I like being vulnerable myself but I was allowing him to be vulnerable with me and I was allowing him to care for me right and I don't like you know necessarily the narrative of doing things that you care like doing things to care for yourself for other people right doing it for you right the moment it it shifted my thinking so intensely wow and it was so powerful just to like recognize that people are in it with me and that sometimes is such a like obvious it's obvious in our logic brain but it's not obvious in our feelings yes i'm horror awful at letting people help me (laughs) horror awful terrible giggles because it's true it's i'm (laughs) so bad at it i'm so bad at at it like last night i started doing research to figure out am i neurodivergent like my brain's already girl i could answer that question for you in high school son of a bitch well (laughs) listen i need to figure it out for myself okay do i that's why i did it yeah um but like a part of me, so I started doing tests online and talking to people. And she's also a researcher, uh, but I'm terrible at research. Okay, but you do like to learn about. I do topic. like to learn about things, and you dive straight into that. Yeah. And guess what? That's a neurodivergent trait. <laughs> Not to be that person. But so, like, I I was doing things um, and doing research and trying to be gentle with myself mm-hmm. because love to be an asshole to myself as well um and Woo, and eddie eddie sent me this beautiful message Aww. and i'm like tearing up and i'm sitting on the couch and my dad's like sitting on a chair and he's like whoa what's going on and i'm like nothing <laughs> it's like you kind of told them but I, it was something that I was like, no, I need to keep it to myself. It's like, this is why we go to therapy, children. True. Uh, <laughs> but um, wow, that experience with your brother is super impactful. Yeah. And it was just such a little thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't, 
I, I don't want to go this whole episode without talking about the intensity and the impact of the essay, I own a body that wants to break. That was a lot, a lot. It was a lot in a, in a good way, way. in a, in a way that made me stop and cry and think for a little bit throughout the essay. Um, and just so, you know, content warning for folks, it talks about, um, an eating disorder. So that's kind of the focus of, of the essay, but holy smokes, was it healing to read? Mm. And uh, because it felt like a release right. for me, reading it felt like I could cry about things I hadn't cried about in a long time. And like, it felt beautiful to read. It was beautiful to read. And, and it felt, you know, I, the power of metaphor is really, really undervalued, <laughs> underrated. It made me feel so, it just made me feel that struggle was beautiful in like the really cliche, cliche way, but in a way that like I was sitting, you know, I'm never going to tell somebody that that's fucking shit to hear. Right. Um, that like without struggle, there'd be no, yeah, you, you know, whatever, that. like it's, it's toxically positive and gross. Um, and yet like to read it and go through that journey for myself was really, really important. Yeah. Uh, I love how you say it's really shitty to say Fucking toxic, positive, toxic, toxic positivity, all that stuff. But there's this quote that I dog-eared in my aunties are Wolverines, which was really impactful oh, for yeah. me. Every single last time. Um, which was really impactful for me because it was a discussion of mourning. Right. Yeah. Um, and just like Josh and I are the same. We're not. <laughs> but similarly, um, I also mourned the loss of people separate from my community. Mm-hmm. So that was really impactful for me. Um but the line, I believe that all of life collapses into these two categories of suffering and wellness. So I animate them as kin. Mm-hmm. Was like, whoo! And, and similarly in, in I Own a Body That Wants to Break, he says, I am galactic in my wellness. I highlighted that one too! <gasps> yeah. Oh, that made me cry. I sat there and I wept. Um, yeah. Because I think the connection, again, to go into the next essay and to also hear, you know, things like I hold these two aspects as kin and they're both galaxies and wells yeah. of emotion. Yeah. And it just, whew. Oof. I really mm-hmm. liked in I Own a Body That Wants to Break the conversation around the line of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And the critical conversation yeah. about that. So. Yeah, because it, it was really interesting for me when he he said it, like, especially beauty is in the eye of the beholder as if that were a saving grace. Yes. And yeah. it's like, okay, okay, like, you think I'm beautiful. That's nice. I think I look like a stepped on paper bag with dog poo in it. So, <laughs> what like, a metaphor. What a metaphor. <laughs> um, so, 
language warning. Fuck what you think. Yeah. Like that's, this is how I interpret it. Like you might say I look beautiful, but if I don't see myself that way, it doesn't matter what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I and like we don't really do good. things for other people all the time. No, like, no. We're not here to be, to be beautiful in other people's eyes at all points. And that's something that like we can hear from other people and logically understand is true but again, our logic brain and our feeling body are two different things. Two very, very different things. I, um, yeah, I thought that was really good. I went through a dialectical behavioral therapy uh, course and we talked about logic brain and emotion brain. And I actually usually call it a logic brain and feelings body Ooh. because I feel my feelings in my body and I feel my logic in my brain. So I call them those two things. But if you learn in dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT, um, they'll call them both part of the brain. And I think that's an important metaphor in that those two things don't live in completely separate parts of our body. Right. Um, Our logic can be our whole body and our feelings can be our whole body. Yeah. But for me, the metaphor of logic brain and feelings body is more about where I feel those things in my body and less about because the whole point of dbt is is this and right um that both can be true at the same time yeah but i just sent you an article you did I, gonna, I haven't read it yet. I, I assumed you haven't read it yet because we were busy crying about making love with the land yeah we were both <laughs> we were both we were both like okay we need to record the podcast um while we do that uh there's also another five page article I yeah you truly read. <laughs> but spoiler alert eddie um and if anybody else is interested in this article it talks about um music therapy the psyche orpheus so greek mythology um and it's phenomenal it talks about orpheus in the sense that part of orpheus was from apollo which is very yeah mind and part of it is from dionysus which is very feeling yeah and the power of the music in orpheus his power to practically convince death to um let his partner be free Mm -hmm. like the fact that if you can combine those two things in your psyche your feelings and your emotions to become your true self um you can live such a fulfilling life and it's shown through music it's it's a phenomenal article catch us next time talking about this article we're not we're not but if anybody if if you're like "Mm, greek mythology psyche young carl young theory all music therapy all those things sound interesting please email us at booksoverbeverages at gmail.com i will 100 send it to you because i've been emailing it to everybody (laughs) my mother my father my therapist (laughs) eddie other friends co-workers i'm like listen i'm excited to read it and it's on that topic um we don't know what we're gonna read next so. we don't know what we read next and you know what let me turn into a corny car salesman you can help <laughs> us you can help us pick what's next so we always take recommendations over books uh over at books over beverages at gmail.com um hit us up on social media too hit us up on social media everything is welcome i'll uh recommendation things are welcome we have a list going we do have a list going so it's not like we're like there's no more canadian books (laughs) i don't know what to do um 
But we did start a really exciting thing last week after we recorded the part podcast, which is we made a Patreon. Maybe a little early, but who cares? Who cares? It's better to be prepared. <laughs> this is the Virgo. Yeah, the Virgo who likes planning is like, this is perfect. Um, so we made a Patreon. Uh, there's no pressure to join. And really, we made the P- Patreon so we could just have more fun. Truly. That's truly what it is. So there's I got three to make bookmarks. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, arts and crafts. Come on, folks. Like this is great. So there's three tiers. The first tier is a dollar, and I think it's a U.S. dollar. So it's really seventy five cents Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> seventy five cents Canadian, folks. Like we're really, we're really trying to make our million here. Um, so like one dollar U.S., uh, which is we're gonna go on a live stream, and you can. We can all just sit and chat and pick a book together of what we want to do for the next six weeks as what we read. So you get a say in that live stream. Uh, The second tier is $3 and you get a bookmark um, as well as inclusion in the live stream. And the third tier is um, $20 and we'll send you the book. We'll say, here, friend, you've helped us pick the book. Here's the book Mm -hmm. and a bookmark to go with it. Like, how fantastic is that? So if you're interested, um, go to Patreon, Books Over Bevies. You can find us there um, to help us pick the next book um, that we're going to read. I'm very excited to see where our journey takes us from here. Do you have any, before we finish, do you have any overarching feelings, comments, questions about making love with the land that you feel like you want to send to someone like final out of five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think my final thoughts were, um, and to speak really to, um, the theme of grief that that Joshua talked about. Um, this book continually made me think about my grandpa. Oh. And he is one of the only people in my life who's passed away. Um, and the grief that I felt for him was, oh God, um, I can't focus. Sorry. <laughs> there was a hair on Eddie's nose. It was very important <laughs> during the profound message they're trying to tell you. Jesus, um, Roisin. But yeah, no, I just, I think I thought about him a lot and I really think he would have enjoyed reading this book. Um, I recommended it to my grandma who I do crosswords with every Sunday. It's freaking adorable. Um, And I think she's really going to like it. Uh, She recommended a book for us um, that we might read in the future. But um, yeah, I think overall that feeling of, comfort and also of intensity um, because I felt like I could cry. Mm. And that's how my grandpa made me feel. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I would say like you're meeting a human being, a full-fledged human being when you Mm -hmm. read this book. Um, And respect the book in the same way. Yeah, Understand that you've just sit da- sat down and had a very vulnerable coffee session with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's 
my feelings about this book. So treat it with respect, treat the stories with respect, treat the uh, messages with respect and be prepared to learn and be touched when you read this book. And cry. And cry. I'm not going to lie. It's beautiful though. It's worth it. Um, Yeah. So check out, keep an eye on our social media to see what book we're going to be reading next. Um, And with that said, we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you next time. Yeah. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Books Over Bevies. You can find us on Instagram, Patreon, and Twitter at Books Over Bevies. And you can always email us at booksoverbeverages at gmail.com. We hope you come again.